Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about No fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 366, coming at you the week of December 16th. Now, you may hear the sound of my laundry dryer in the background. Now, that is an old staple of the No Fun podcast. This podcast used to be exclusively recorded from my home, and sometimes you could hear the subtle sounds of the laundry in the background, and people would always write in to tell me that it was very comforting to them and they loved it. Then I started recording mostly at a studio, no dryer there. And then now that I am uh, homebound due to the pandemic, I do record it in my home studio, my home office, but lately I've been recording the episodes in my living room, which is a little closer to the sound of the dryer. And so there you go. You might hear it might be old school for some of you. And so welcome. What is this? Who is this? I'm Jen Kirkman. I'm a comedian. You may have seen me on Drunk History Chelsea lately, which is one of the reasons I started this podcast, No Fun, because people were under the impression that I was some drunk party girl. And you know what? I've certainly gone to parties and I've certainly been drunk, but that's not the kind of stuff I talk about. I don't talk about celebrities. I don't like to yell woo at dance clubs. I am more of a curmudgeonly person who was into the Smiths growing up. You get what I'm saying? You know the deal here. And so No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast is for people who, well, as I say, everybody's fun is different. And so we celebrate all different ways of being here and talk about all different kinds of things. It's a solo podcast where I talk about what's going on in my head that week, going on in my life, and a little bit maybe what's going on in the world. If if there's something interesting that's not overly political. And uh, you know my two comedy specials, perhaps, uh, I'm going to die alone and I feel fine and just keep living, both streaming now on Netflix. I'm also an author of two books. One is called I Can Barely Take Care of Myself, Tales from a Happy Life Without Kids. I highly recommend that one as a Christmas gift. You can get that on Kindle or on paperback. Uh, Go to Amazon or local bookstore if you want to save your local bookstore wherever books are sold. I will put a link in the show notes if you want to buy that book. And uh, my second book is called I Know What I'm Doing and Other Lies I Tell Myself. Another great gift. It's about turning 40, getting divorced, traveling the world, dating after 40, some celebrity gossipy stories, some really, it's a nice, it's a nice uh, memoir about fears and anxiety and all kinds of things that, you know, listen, two of them might be a one-two combo. So Amazon, you can get it on Kindle or paperback. And again, support your local bookstore if that's something that you can do. There's a great website called IndieBound.org, and it'll tell you what independent bookstores sell it. So uh, I will put in the show notes those two books, and you can buy them for the holidays. Okay, let's get going into this episode. So again, what's this podcast? I talk every week about what's going on in my life, blah, blah, blah. As I said before, it is sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always honest and real. This is not a stand-up comedy special, so don't be looking for those jokes per minute, but certainly, oh, we're having fun here. Come on. I am part of the Misfit Toys Comedy Collective, started by Jimmy Pardo and Matt Belknap of the Never Not Funny podcast. Other podcasts on the collective include Mike Schmidt's The 40-Year-Old Boy, Doug Benson's Doug Loves Movies, The Todd Glass Show, and... Uh, Jonah Ray's Let Me Watch Your Movie With You and more to come. So quickly, quickly, quickers. I have a Patreon. Oh my God, you have a thing that everyone else has. How'd you do it? Oh, shut up. What what are you so negative for? Listen, I was going to start touring a little bit less in 2020. And uh, I didn't know it was because of a global pandemic. I just was going to tour less. And I thought, you know what? 
to make up for that, I'll do a Patreon. People can watch me on video. They can get bonus content. They can get me releasing stand-up sets that I've recorded on the road that are not on Netflix, that are not anywhere. And uh, yeah, so that's what people can get. And that's patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. At the $5 level, let me tell you what you get. You get this episode that you're listening to, but you get the video version of it. So right now, if you were watching, you could see me sitting in my living room next to my Christmas tree. And every video episode is longer than the audio episode. That's right. I start at the beginning and I tell a little personal story and you you get that extra little thing. Once a week, uh, you get a 20-minute bonus episode. The $5 level gets one of those. $10 level gets two of those. $15 gets three. Onwards and upwards from there, there's also special merchandise that you can get that comes with the higher up levels. It's a great way to support me. It is one third of my career was going on the road. And now that has been dashed and gone and dead. And I certainly did lose this year on that. So joining the Patreon is a great way to, uh, in quotes, come see me on the road. And again, you get those great stand-up bonuses at times as well. I've been doing it since March. So even if you join today for five bucks a month, you've got like hours of bonus material to catch up on. So join on patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Ask for it for a Christmas gift. I mean, it's really, really, listen, let's not be stupid. The the vaccine will not be here until late spring. You got a lot more uh, hanging out by yourself to do. So why not? Why not get on that Patreon and get all the extra bonus stuff? Okay. So, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, I have an update. I saw my dentist. Do I have COVID? We'll see. Ellen DeGeneres has COVID. I've got my opinions. And uh, people who are telling me how they got COVID, and it's always the same story. I'll tell you. I'll tell you all about it. Uh, warnings to people who email me to ask me for weird things. I'll tell you a story about a guy who wanted me to help him with something and he got shut down uh, with a quickness. Listener emails about would they date someone who has time traveled (laughs) based on a Hallmark movie that I watched. And I will go further into detail about my opinions on said Hallmark movie called A Timeless Christmas and how I just couldn't relax and enjoy it because I just had so much going on in my mind about what it would be like to date a guy who suddenly came back from 1903. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I'll get into it. Um, Talking about uh, the vaccine, I've got some vaccine news. COVID is actually an easy virus to replicate or vaccinate. And also women are on the forefront of developing the vaccine. Ooh, ooh, shout out to women. And don't be like, well, you just said it was easy to do. So I didn't, oh, shut up. Listen. And then a lot of listener emails. That's what, that's it. That and whatever else pops into my head this week on No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast. All right, everyone. So I know, I know I've talked about the dentist the last few episodes, and you're probably thinking, wow, I can't wait to hear part three because then she'll stop fucking talking about it. But listen, we're on a journey here. So I got a lot of emails from people saying, well, my friend has a dentist 70 miles away. Listen, I'm never asking for help when I'm sitting here with my neurosis. I'm letting you into my brain so that you can relate and go, oh, I'm not the only one that thinks this way, but just know that I handle my business. And if I were in need of a dentist, it wouldn't not dawn on me. And I certainly wouldn't go, I'm going to reach out to people who listen to my podcast to see if they have suggestions. I do have a big network of friends, family, doctors I know that I could ask. I'm all set. I want you guys to take the pressure off yourselves. If you've got codependent tendencies, go work on them. Go inflict them on your husband or your wife. But no fun's a time for you to just chill. You don't got to solve any of my problems. The only problem you got to solve is join my fucking Patreon. That's all I ask. Oh, God. So here's the deal. I went to get my 
veneer fixed because half of it broke off. Oh, the other half was staying on pretty well, but it was on my mind. You know what I mean? Which is a very unknown fact. It's what Willie Nelson song, you're always on my mind. You're always on my mind. Uh, me. Uh, every woman that was in his life was like, I know that's about me. It really is. It was about he chipped a tooth on tour and couldn't get back to a dentist. And it was driving him crazy. He kept thinking, if this tooth is loose, I'm going to lose a tooth on tour. It's always on my mind. And then he went, wait, that'd be a good song. And then women will think it's about them and people will dance to it at their wedding. So he wrote it down. And that's the truth, everybody. And by the truth, I mean I just made it up. Okay, so it was always on my mind. It was always on my mind. I can't stop doing this. It was always on my mind. No one turns around if I'm on The Voice. In fact, they, they fall out of their chairs and they stop, drop, and roll as though there's been a fire. And I'm like, is anyone going to turn around? And I don't even know there's no one in the chairs. And then I have to go walk around to the chairs and see no one sitting there. <sighs> Sorry I took a chance with that note, everybody. Isn't this what this show is about? And then that goes viral. And everybody is like, did you see that woman who could not get the note out? She took a chance and it went viral. Yeah, but now she just looks crazy. Who cares? At least people know who she is. Anyway, it was always on my mind. Don't worry, I won't start singing it again. And I thought to myself, well, I chipped this tooth on Thanksgiving. Thank God it didn't expose a nerve or a cavity. And it, it gave me no pain. I just knew it was there. I knew the chip was there. But if I let it keep not being a full tooth. Again, you couldn't see it. It was in the back. But when's it going to fall off again? Probably not Monday through Friday, 9 to 6 a.m. That's never when things in a dental emergency happen. It'll happen Christmas Eve. And then I'll have no front tooth. And then something will be exposed. And I'll be in pain. And I'll have to go to the, I don't even know where you go, the vet? Where, where Who's open? Who's the emergency room? The dentist emergency, do I call the number and press three and then they page someone on Christmas Eve and then their Christmas Eve becomes like a Hallmark movie? They're just leaning in to kiss their old high school flame at the tree lighting and then all of a sudden the pager goes off. Why do they have a pager? I don't know. And it's like, beep, beep. Oh, there's an emergency. I'll let you go. Then they come in and fix my tooth and then they leave and they get back to the tree lighting after fixing my tooth and they see their old high school girlfriend hugging another man. And he thinks, ah, I lost my chance. She's hugging another man. That can only mean one thing. They're madly in love. And everything that happened between us two hours ago is no longer happening. And so he walks away and he decides to open a dental practice in another town. And his sister is like, What's going on, Corey? I always thought that there was something between you. And he's like, did you see her hugging that guy? That guy, that guy was eczema Charlie. Everyone has to hug him and scratch his back at least once a night or, or his eczema just gets out of control. Well, how was I to know? Well, why didn't you just go ask her? I couldn't go up to her when she was hugging another man. Why did you go? Where did you go anyway? Well, one of my clients, she chipped the rest of her tooth that she'd already chipped on Thanksgiving. She chipped the rest on Christmas Eve. And uh, you should you work too much. You shouldn't be on call for these idiots on Christmas Eve. Anyway, so I just thought this thing is going to break when it's least convenient. And maybe at that point, it will be difficult. So I was afraid to go to the dentist because I know I've said this before, it was a, a neurotic thought loop that I couldn't quite wrangle. It wasn't causing me any mental anguish. It wasn't taking up my time or stopping me from doing anything. But when I would think about it, this loop would go, 
okay, in March and April, when the numbers were lower for COVID, but we were pretty, pretty big in that pandemic, the dentist office closed. Nobody could go in for any reason. Now the numbers are five times that. We have 3,000 new cases a day in LA or something like that. It's really bad. And uh, the worst it's ever been. But the dentist is open. I thought one in every 140 people in LA have COVID. Obviously, I think almost a million have died. So, so what, 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 what? I have asthma. I'm high risk. I had a respiratory infection that wasn't COVID last November and December, and it did harm permanently some of my bronchioles. I, I can't fuck with this thing. It'll kill me. But as you guys know, I talked about last week, I called and I just got the feeling that they weren't taking it seriously because that's the feeling I got because that's the thing that I made up. Now, they certainly weren't verbose about the precautions and how they care about it. They weren't. They could have been more so, but it doesn't mean they're not doing anything. I came in, I walked in, I was wearing my rubber gloves, I was double masking it, KN95 with a medical mask over it. I had not goggles on, but a pair of glasses. I know that's not the same. I honestly couldn't work up the courage to put goggles on, but they give you goggles in the room just so that stuff doesn't splatter into your eyes anyway. So I get there, everybody's in masks. I bring my own pen, I sign all the paperwork. They call me right into the office, the hygienist. She's got a mask and a face shield and gloves. The dentist, he's double masked, gloves, glasses, not a face shield, but that's okay. I've known him for 10 years. I've been going to these dentists since I first moved to LA. And it's a family-owned business. The head doctor, Dr. Gazarian, he died years ago. He was wonderful. I just remember one day he whispered to me, I'm a vegan. <laughs> I don't know why he felt like he wanted to tell me that. And he said, uh, I really care about other people. The first time I went to them was just my teeth were inwardly a mess. There was like two root canals and a thing and a it was overwhelming. It was like all of a sudden I had my yearly cleaning and it was like, I mean, my twice a year cleaning. And all of a sudden this time I went, it was like all hell broke loose. And I didn't have any money. I was so broke when I moved to LA and in so much debt. And I think my parents were a little disappointed in me because I moved there with such not even just high hopes, but I think a lot of, you know, I moved there because I'd just been on a TV show where they air your stand-up on late night, but not a real late night show like Jimmy Fallon or something. It was just like called Late Friday. You know, back then I was just as naive as my parents from the 50s. I was like, I made it. I made $900 before taxes and giving to my manager for a TV appearance. I've made it. And I'm in the dentist chair calling my parents for money on the flip phone. And they're like, what? How much? I had such bad credit. I didn't, uh, I couldn't apply for the credit card. And I just remember the dentist holding my hand. I'm crying. And I'm just saying, I can't afford it. I'm going to have to stop doing the work. <laughs> And he got on the phone with my parents, and they agreed to do some kind of thing. And then I paid my parents back $5 a week until I could afford more. And I paid them off. But it was a lot of work. That wasn't covered under, you know, any kind of whatever mild dental insurance I had. So they've seen me at my lowest. Now, I don't think technically all the people standing before me were there. That was Dr. Gazarian. That was some of the other people. Uh, the receptionists have always been the same. I've known these people for 18 years. And they've seen me as I've 
gotten a career. It's been very sweet. And I'm still very close with my hometown dentist, Dr. Polanski, who I've been going to since I was eight. And if anything, I could always call Dr. Polanski. He lives in San Diego. He's not going to do a veneer on me, but he would be like, I can recommend someone, blah, blah, blah. But I just, I knew my people were going to be fine. I just felt a little bit like they're not really soothing me over the phone in a way that I need, but in a way that you don't need to soothe adults. But one with neurosis, you might. So that's why. I was a little bit like, I don't know, but I went in and they had the HEPA filter, big, big, big air purifier filter going on the floor. And unless, you know, unless the dentist or hygienist had COVID, that's really the only way I could have gotten it. And, but they, there's a world where they had it and they were breathing through their masks in my face and I was maskless and that gives me a pretty good chance of getting it. So Time will tell. I have a test scheduled for four days from now or five days from now to let it incubate if it's gonna. But I have, if you put a gun to my head and said, guess, I'd say, I don't think I got it. Uh, I know that I'm negative because I just got a test result the other day. And then, you know, in between things, they'd, they'd take a mold for my teeth, bite down, bite down. Okay, hold that there for five minutes and they leave the room and I put the mask back on. I mean, I don't know what that does, but I did the best I could and I felt comfortable and everyone was kind and I really like these people. So there you go. Funny story about, so I have a crown on right now. I go back December 29th, first appointment in the morning, same old rigmarole and that appointment should be less long because they just have to pop this one out, pop that one in. Today was the drilling and the things. And what I love about my dentists is they are so gentle He's like, okay, I'm putting some numbing stuff on your gum. I'm going to put the tiniest bit of Novocaine in. Now, I'm not a pain person. Novocaine pain does not bother me. What bothers me is if I accidentally feel air on some kind of cavity, that feeling. But I'm not a nervous Nelly at the dentist, and I use it to meditate and breathe, and it works really well. Oh, and that's what I also liked about Dr. Gazarian. He was like, I'm a meditator. I'm going to let you do your meditation here. I mean, he was great. So, but I love the new doctor as well. And he does the Novocaine. It's a tiny pinch. And the whole time he's saying, just a little pinch. I'm going really slow. And then he jiggles your mouth. And then he says, I'm going to let it get numb. And I'm going to come back and give more so that you are numb when you get the rest, which I know most people probably do this. But he goes through all the things. Your your nose is going to get numb as well. You're going to feel like you can't take a breath, but you can breathe. And I just appreciate all of that talking. And I'll say, I'm going to listen to a podcast and I'm going to turn it up loud so I don't hear your drill. If you need me, can you tap me on the shoulder and I'll turn it down and you can say what you need to say. And he's like, great. And if it hurts, you raise your left arm. And I'm like, great. And I'm like, if you ask me questions about how it's going, I'm not going to hear you but I promise you I'm easy peasy. It's going to go great. He's like, great. And I don't have it up so loud that I can't hear the hygienist saying like spit and you know, whatever. And they are great with the suction. They've got it right in there. So I'm never choking and, you know, like trying to avoid swallowing. It's like, she's right there. And then she'll say, close your mouth and spit into it. It's great. I'm telling you, I've had hygienists in the past who just like have the hose kind of hanging on one side of my mouth and everything's running down my throat. And I'm going, (coughs) and they're going, you're not supposed to swallow. And I'm like, it's not my fault. Like they had a bad hygienist once. And I was like, this bitch got to go. And she is not there anymore. But I didn't say this bitch got to go. Great story, Jen. Um, Anyway, so Dr. Polanski, when I was a little kid, he's our family dentist. He's remained friends of all of us. Like, I mean, calls on the phone. What's up? Like friends. He likes to remind me of a story where I'm walking home from school. Now, my parents were not the type that forgot to pick me up from school. My God, I wished I were a latchkey kid. I wished my parents were less up my ass. They were always around. But there was this one day where I think there was a miscommunication or my mom was a little late because there was some kind of snow thing and I was walking home in the snow or I was doing something after school and it got canceled because of snow and I thought, oh, I'll just start walking. 
because I didn't mind walking home in the snow. But then it started raining in the snow. It was freezing. It was sleeting. Who wants that? And Dr. Polanski drove up next to me and he said, Jen, let me give you a ride home. Oh my God, you're soaking wet. And I said, I can't. You're a stranger. And he said, I'm your dentist. I'm your dad's dentist. I'm your mom's dentist. I'm your sister's dentist. I've been, I've known you for, you know, I think it was like at least three years at that point. And I said, I can't. You're a stranger. You have to be a member of my family or one of my friend's parents. And he was like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, I can't get in the car. And he's like, do you have like a password or anything? I was like, no. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to drive next to you to make sure you're okay. I was like, all right. And so he drove for a little while and then I just waved him off. I was like, just go, just go. I was like, I'm going to get in so much trouble. And then I went home and told my mom that Dr. Polanski saw me and she was like, um, no, you couldn't have taken the right. I mean, I guess you did the right thing. And he made fun of me from then on. Remember when you thought I was a stranger and you couldn't get in the car? But technically, Dr. Polanski is wrong because the dentist could be a perv. You don't fucking know. You know, he could be driving around just waiting to pick up kids whose moms didn't get them at school just so he can, I don't know, chloroform them and give them a fluoride treatment and diddle them. I don't know. Turns out he wasn't like that at all. And to this day, he's like, remember, I'm like, I got it. I was a loser kid who did everything my parents said. Sorry. The dryer just stopped. Anyway, so cap on the tooth. Appointment number one. Waiting to see if the COVID manifests in my body. Oh, you know, I'll keep you posted. So speaking of COVID, this is going to be a very COVID-y episode. Sorry. (laughs) I put on my Instagram my unpopular opinion, which I think I know that I've voiced on this podcast before, which is these people on Twitter, they go on And they're either like famous people or they're just someone with a lot of Twitter followers. And they say, oh, my God, I did everything and I got COVID. Guys, be careful out there. There's no symptoms yet, but I tested positive. And everyone's like, oh, my God, you're amazing. And I'm like, how'd they get it? How'd they get it? I know we can't pinpoint exactly how they got it. But again, as I say, if I get it, I will be like, I went to the dentist. I went to CVS with two masks on. I did uh, get a haircut outside, you know, whatever. I'll say everything I did that week. And I will say, okay, so I don't know which thing that was, but it turns out that all of those are risky. And I didn't used to think going to CVS with two masks on was, right? Or I live in a condo and I walked down four flights of stairs without a mask on and checked my Male in the lobby among other people. No, I don't do that. But like, let's just say I did and I got it. I'd go, that's probably that. Okay, great. Just to let people know, because you go stay safe. I'll go, okay, great. I'll stay safe. I'll go to CVS still and I'll wear two masks and I'll kind of linger and look at the candy, (laughs) you know, or, you know, yeah, I'll I'll still go to the um, hike with a friend, you know, heavy breathing, but we're behind masks. You know, what if that person got it from hiking with a friend wearing a mask, heavy breathing? They just told me to stay safe, but I think that what they did was safe, but it wasn't, and they got it. What's the point of them just not telling me how they got it, right? Makes me fucking nuts. So luckily, everyone on my Instagram mostly agreed, and a few people were like, totally, when I got it, I told everyone how I got it. So then I was like, I gotta know, and so I'd be like, how'd you get it? And so many people, I mean, they were just saying it like they were saying, I got a newspaper. It was just like... So nonchalant, you know, and I get it. Not everyone gets ventilator COVID. Not everyone even gets, oh my God, it was the worst flu of my life. I wouldn't wish it on my enemy. It's three weeks of this, but you don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. God only knows what I'd be without COVID. Who are these people that are saying COVID-19? What do you think? You're better than me? Are you French? What is this? 
I hear some like pundits like, and with COVID-19, I go, what? There's a D on that. Is a D silent now sometimes? What are you saying? Anyway. These people are like, I did everything right. I always wore a mask, except I gathered on Thanksgiving with a very small group, uh, less than five people, but we were indoors and didn't wear masks. So that's when I got it. And it is taking me everything in my power not to be like, you fucking fuck. Dr. fucking Fauci said, cancel Thanksgiving. Cancel it. Cancel it like we canceled Bill Cosby. Cancel it like we canceled Crystalia. Cancel it. It takes one person to give you COVID. So hanging out with five people that you don't live with, that have then lived with, that then live with other, it's a risk. That's not, if none of you have quarantined and none of you took tests before, you're risking five times. Of course you got it indoors without a mask. What in the fuck? And there's a new study out of South Korea. I mean, it's not new to me. It's not even new to that. It's not new to anyone. Like, it's not new information. But people who are getting it. <coughs> oh, God, here it starts. Here it starts. Already shorter breath. Okay, I'm not going to freak out. People that were getting it were indoors, 20 feet apart, no masks. So this whole notion notion of like, as long as you're social distancing, it's fine. Maybe outside, but not even. Just don't, just don't, just put a fucking mask. Anyway, I just couldn't believe how many people follow me that were like, I totally got it. And I didn't know where. And then one woman was like, I flew somewhere on vacation, but I didn't talk to anyone. I'm like, she's like, I think I got on the flight. It's crazy. Everyone just seems so like, blah, blah. I, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe, maybe history will show that I'm being overcautious. Maybe history will show that COVID was somehow in America in early November. I've seen the articles. Those aren't substantiated. And that I had it. But again, it would have been insane if I had it because I was dating someone and going to a job. Like within the time, like people would have gotten it. I don't know, folks. But Ellen DeGeneres, I just, I was in the dentist chair. My friend texted me and he said, Ellen has COVID. He's got, this, my friend has great Ellen stories from, uh, that I cannot tell. They belong to a friend of his that used to work for her privately, not in a showbiz way. And whoopadoopa. Um, <clears throat> so Ellen has COVID and everyone's like, that's because she opened her show back up. And listen, I don't think opening your show back up when it was going just fine in a pandemic as it's rising is the smartest idea. I don't think you need to make, I, I just don't think you need to have an audience there. I just, if you want to be alone in the studio, I guess, but I, the whole idea was stupid. And everyone's like, that's how she got it. And I'm like, that ain't how she got it, people. Look at the timeline. She, of course, had a big Thanksgiving with a bunch of people unmasked and thought they could get away with it. That's, of course, how she got it. But, of course, I'm all over Twitter. Tell us how she got it. It could be a teachable moment. She was like, I got COVID. Um, I feel fine so far, but stay safe, everyone. Fuck you. How do I stay safe? Tell me to do not what you did. This is so irresponsible. I'm sorry. Ugh. I mean, Ellen has not had a good year from everything coming out, from people finally finding out what she's like to work with. And I know people that have worked for her. The stories are 100% true. Now, of course, then there's like the feminist in me that's like, so what? All the men are horrible too. Why can't a woman be horrible? It's like, yeah. And then like the other part of me goes, yeah, but the men got away with it too and people talked about them. And that's all that's happening to her. I mean, she's not getting fired. Neither did the men. But, but the stories of the men aren't quite the same. Like, they're not quite berating the staff. It's sexual harassment for sure. But, like, 
under the radar affairs, which technically is an abuse of your power, but it's not like David Letterman was going around pinching everyone's ass. But in the environment of sexual harassment, it can be really dangerous because um, you don't know what you should be like. It, it makes you feel like if you don't put out, you're not going to get work. So, I mean, the whole thing, it's all destructive, right? It's all destructive. But, you know, I don't know. It's like she hasn't had a good year. And I think, honestly, just wealthy people at that level, I don't think it's like they think they're better than everyone. It's just that, like, they have enough money to get around most issues. Like, I'll give you an example. In my small world of wealth, like, I have enough money to, without batting an eye, join Clear at the airport and join TSA PreCheck. Now, Clear is 179 bucks a year. And TSA pre-check is like $50 every five years. This is not a lot of money to me. But some people would be like, I'm not paying that. Okay, fine. So like I'm I'm willing to pay to skip lines and not have to deal with all the shit that everyone else has to deal with. And I justify it by going, well, I'm traveling for business and I have somewhere to be and blah, blah, blah. But But the attitude is there of like, if I buy it, I'm entitled to it and I get to do it. And I'm sure I have other instances of that that I'm like not even aware of. And so so it goes when you've been in this like giant bubble for so long. I'm not I'm not asking anyone to be sympathetic to it. I'm just trying to explain that the mentality behind it isn't necessary. You know, whenever I talk about people who aren't following the rules, everybody jumps to like the worst of the worst people that are screaming at a target that don't believe in masks. I'm not talking about that. That's a percentage of people. And I think half of them probably have like an undiagnosed mental illness that they never had come to light until there was this pandemic that made them feel totally out of control. I'm talking about the people I know that aren't following rules and they're going on vacation and they're going indoors on each other's podcasts. They're just in a bubble. They just truly believe because they see their friends functioning and, and with no symptoms and their friends are safe. And, and what I've learned that that means to my friends is that, okay, my name is Susie and my friend Doozy, when she goes to CVS, she wears a mask. She does everything that's asked of her. But Doozy still has girlfriends over that she thinks are safe and they have wine indoors. And then Doozy also has a family and her kids come and go from whatever. And then Doozy and Susie sit in a room alone together. They think that's safe. To me, that's not safe because I don't know everybody's been, but in their world, they think it's safe. And they think, oh, well, I have the good blood type and I don't have a pre-existing condition. And then when you try to go a step further with them and say, yeah, but it's sort of like if anything does happen to you, it didn't need to happen and you're overwhelming the hospital system and can you just think of the healthcare workers? They can't think that far ahead. Are they evil? No. Are they careless? Like literally caring less? Yeah. Sucks. And then there's some people that are like, no, no, no. I can buy rapid tests and have a friend's Thanksgiving. A lot of people are criticizing Whitney Cummings for that. I'm not publicly criticizing her, but I do not approve. And so people are, oh, but we had tests, but we had this. Yeah, but we know that the testing doesn't really quite mean you don't have it at that moment. And I just think the more money you have, the more you're able to throw money at the thing and make it go away. And in show business, they really do test you every day on set and take your temperature and encourage you to quarantine when you go home. And you're still distanced and masked until like all the cameras start running and then it's you. You know, I I think it's still a giant risk. You're just asking people to come together and you just never know. But I don't have a feeling that it's the show that did it. And if it did, more people would be sick, I think. Um, But she did come in contact with people at work. So they've all been notified. I think it's best to just shut it down. I just think it's a, I got kind of bummed. You know, I don't watch late night TV, but I did because Amy Sedaris was on. I watched an episode of Seth Meyers and I really loved seeing him in his home and I loved seeing her in her home. I mean, Amy Sedaris has one of the great New York City brownstones that she 
bought and then she bought the floor on top of it and she's renovating. And it was just fun to see her in her little fashion room and talking about how she saw a rat and all this kind of fun stuff. And that never would have happened if she was on that kind of static set. And then the next time I wanted to watch the show was when Ethan Hawke was a guest and I turned it on. I had DVR'd it and Seth was back at his desk and Ethan was seven feet away from him. Neither of them had masks on and they kept saying they're at a safe distance and all these precautions were taken. Again, they did the rapid testing, but they're still enclosed in a room. And if they are sick, aerosols are flying and they will get it. They were not far uh, enough apart and you have to be in a mask inside. So yes, they both just tested negative, but there's still a risk. And I was uncomfortable watching it. I want to watch people in their homes. And I think it's really cool to get an insight into people's homes. I think we've all kind of adapted our eyesight to looking at Zoom shows. I think we're fine with it. I think obviously it's less visually interesting, but um, I think, you know, for for talk shows, we don't need it. We don't need them back on set. And I don't agree. Like, again, I'm just, you know, if I were president, maybe I'd be buzzkill Charlie, but I'd be like, there is no time for a return to normalcy because shit isn't normal. So let's get used to watching people sit in their living room on Zoom and maybe it'll remind you that there's a goddamn pandemic and maybe you could think about other people. I don't know. This is why I'm not president, because I would start, they go, she's going off again. Someone start blinking the teleprompter so she stays on her script. Anyway, so everybody, stay fucking safe. (laughs) Ugh. So I'm watching this Hallmark Christmas movie, and I'd, I'd mentioned it last week. And uh, it was about a woman. It was about a man named Mr. Whitley. I think they're trying to paint him as this uh, Edison or even Tesla type of guy, you know, an inventor who had a rival. So he's probably more of the Edison. Because, te- uh, sorry, it's Tesla was the original. So Tesla, this guy's more of a Tesla. And Edison kind of stole some of his stuff. Actually, Ethan Hawke's in a movie about it. I have to... I started watching it once and I just couldn't get into it. But but I've read about it too. It's it's very interesting. Um, And there's a drunk history about it too. I think Crispin Glover plays Tesla. It's great. Anywho... So none of this is important to this story. So there's this guy. So now it's, go back to 1903 in your mind. You there? Okay. There's this guy, Mr. Whitley. He's an inventor. He's always doodling in his journal. He lives in the Whitley mansion, as you do. He's got a maid named Rosie. They're really close. She can, she can talk to him. She can get under his skin. She can... Talk to him like a friend. She's not just a maid who brings him hot cocoa. She can say, you know, Mr. Whitley, I don't think you and your fiancé are right for each other. So Mr. Whitley has this fiancé, and he's at an auction, and he buys this Christmas clock. And uh, he's got this clock, and my doorbell just rang. I'm trying to just ignore it. He, He buys this clock, and he... Is talking to his rival at the auction. And we have established that they are professional rivals. We are have established that his rival has an eye for Whitley's fiance. What I don't know, let's say her name is Adele. So we see Adele and she's sitting there. I want you to come to the Christmas dance in New York City with my father. And he's like, I, I can't, I have to work. And she's like, You're always thinking of the future instead of the past. And he's like, what's wrong with thinking about the future? The future is wonderful. There's going to be all these machines and things and that. And she's like, well, if you change your mind about me. And she goes into the city. Now, he hasn't given her the Christmas clock yet. (coughs) Can you hear me coming down with COVID as I record this podcast? So I'm recording this a week early. So if you're listening to the free audio version, you will get this 
uh, I will know by now if I have COVID. Okay, so now it's fiance. She's left. She's going to be with her family. Rosie, the maid, says to him, you know, I don't even know if you guys are right for each other. And he's like, look, a man of my age just has to be married. That's the social contract. And, you know, like, we're fine enough. We get along. And Rosie's like, you get along. Don't you want love to be more than that? And he's like, I don't even know. I don't even why. I don't know. So all the staff at the uh, mansion, you know, the cooks and the servants, they're um, saying to Mr. Whitley, are you going to join us for the Christmas Eve dinner this year? And he's like, no, you know, I never come. I'm, I'm busy working. I'm busy working. Oh, okay, Mr. Whitley. So he's in his little office and the antique clock he bought has a saying on it that says, uh, you know, at the at the clock strike on the Christmas moon, you will fall in love soon. Something like that. And it looks like the clock has been stopped at a specific time with wire cutters. It looks like somebody broke the clock on purpose so it would always be this certain time forever. Okay, sure. So he starts fixing the clock. Well, it's Christmas Eve and there's a Christmas moon outside. Or no, it's not Christmas Eve, but there's a Christmas moon outside, which means some kind of a blue moon. He doesn't know that. Okay, so he's fixing the clock. Oh, my God. Once it starts ticking, he starts getting dizzy. He wakes up on the floor of his same office in the Whitley Mansion, and now everything in his office is encased in glass as though though it is a museum because it is. He's like, what's going on? And and it's it's a great little run of moments. He comes down the stairs and there are all these people dressed as Rosie and the other butlers and servants, but they are not them. And he's like, what are you people doing in my home? And there's a bunch of museum tourists that are going, oh, and they start taking pictures and laughing. And they're like, oh, it looks like Mr. Whitley was here today. So basically they all end up backstage and everybody there is an actor. You know you know how it is. You've ever been to one of those kind of... Uh, historical reenactment places and they pretend that they're those people from that time. So that's what goes on at the museum. And the curator of the museum is also one of the actors. I don't know why. And she's obsessed with Mr. Whitley, like the old Mr. Whitley from 1903. She's obsessed with him. She's single. She's had a breakup years ago. She hasn't met anyone new, but she knows every single thing about Mr. Whitley. Charles Whitley. So anyway, this guy who they think is an actor. They're like, were you sent from the agency to play Charles Whitley? You're playing him a little aggro. You can't be yelling, why are you people in my house? And he's like, what agency? What are you talking about? And he's making these little discoveries along the way. He's looking at the light bulbs in the tree. Interesting. They don't produce heat. Now, Edison said, you know, blah, blah, blah. Finally, the head woman, what's her name? Sally. (laughs) That's not her name. But Sally, who's playing... His old maid, Rosie, talks to him and she says, you know, I'm actually Rosie's great, great granddaughter. And he's like, you are. You remind me of her. You're the only one that talks to me the way that Rosie did. And she figures out that he's not lying. He really is from 1903. He really is the real Charles Whitley. He explains to her the time machine. And he's like, you have to help me get back. And they start hanging out and he starts wearing normal clothes and they start having a ball. You know, every once in a while he gets confused. The price of the pizza seems a lot. Women are paying for things and she keeps saying times have changed. Times have changed. And, you know, he likes the iPhone, all this kind of stuff. But um, he has to go back. He wants to go back. And then he finds out that after he so basically what happened in 1903 after he time traveled is he disappeared and nobody knew where he went. And so his rival took over his plans and ended up inventing, you know, a uh, a milling system that Charles Whitley had invented. He married Charles Whitley's fiance. They traveled the world. They gave to charity. Like, they had this great life. So, you know, he wants to go back to 1903 and get that life for himself. And then he decides not to because he has fallen in love in a few days with, you know, Sally, the woman who runs the museum. 
And, you know, it's great. It's love at first sight for him. It's just a little weird because she's always been, you know, like I always had this weird crush on Oscar Wilde, even though he was wildly gay. But, you know, I'm an idiot and a teenager. And I just thought like he was cool and interesting. And if he had come back to life and started hanging out with me first, I'd be like, oh, you're gay. Okay, sorry, dude. I I'll I'll help you meet someone. But I'd also but like, let's say there was something a chance between us. I would feel really weird that I know everything about him and he knows nothing about me. Even if he was enthralled by me, it was like, tell me your life story. It just would feel strange, you know, um, be like dating a fan or something. Right. So it's exactly what it'd be like. So anyway, he decides to stay, even though he finds the old clock and he, there's a Christmas moon that night and he can totally at least try to go back, but he doesn't. He decides to stay. And then it just drove me crazy because they're at the Christmas Eve dance and they're talking. And it's just like, so now you're going to be with a guy who has no ID, no money, and eventually like maybe take him for a psychiatric evaluation, like just in case... He didn't time travel, like just in case, like maybe just make sure. And also like, does he have like a weird venereal disease from the early 1900s? Like, you know what I mean? He needs his uh, polio vaccine, a smallpox vaccine. I mean, does, has he ever had his teeth cleaned? Like there's just a lot, you know? And just the fact that like, she's like, oh, women can do this now. And he's like, okay, that's going to come up later where he's going to be like, women should be this. Why are black people free? Like there's just a lot. What was 1903? But you know, there was just a lot that I was like, eh. And then he's like, I'm an inventor. I'm sure I can do something. And then he basically is like, you know, that iPhone you have, he didn't say iPhone, but that electric computer you have in your pocket, maybe we could add, he says something like we could add we could make it go faster. And it's like, oh, dude, we already did that. Like, you don't, there's nothing you can like invent because you don't have the educate, like you can't improve on our machines. You're from 1903. So I don't want you tinkering with a Boeing 747. So I just think it would be like a really cool story and then let him go back in time and always wonder. And then maybe yourself get checked out by a psychiatrist. But I just think it would be too hard to really date someone from that time because of, you know, and also his life expectancy might. Also, if you date him, then don't you do that back to the future thing where somehow it upsets your life and others around? It just doesn't make any sense. And this guy is going to give up everything for you. I, I don't know. It's weird. And he can't live in the museum. I mean, it's 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 his house. So eventually you guys are going to have to tell everybody who he is. Like, you have a mighty big secret there. It was all very strange to me. And again, it's a Hallmark Christmas movie, so it was a delight. But it really made me think, what would I do if somebody came back in time? Would I date them? And I asked you guys that last week. I got a couple email answers. I'm sure more will come trickling in. Hey, Jen. If a traveler from the past came to this time, I'd send them back, especially if they're a historical figure. Hang on one sec. I have to... I have to increase the uh, font, especially if they're a historical figure. If they stayed, they may not be able to do what they were famous for, which would then alter the course of history and cause the space-time continuum to implode and potentially destroy the universe. I would not that... I would not want that on my conscience, though, to be fair, I'd be wiped from existence with everyone else. So I'd have no conscience or consciousness to speak of. If I fell head over heels in love with her, pretending I'm single for the sake of the argument, I'd probably travel back with her. But it would depend on how far back. If we're talking the 60s, I could handle it. Sure, I'd miss the modern conveniences, but I was alive in the 70s, which was close enough to the 60s to make me adaptable. But if it's like the late 19th century or earlier, I probably wouldn't because people didn't really bathe or brush their teeth regularly. Horses were relieving themselves everywhere and modern plumbing wasn't really a thing yet. If the diseases to which I would not be immune didn't kill me, the symphony of horrible smells probably would. And not even true love is worth that. But if I did travel back to the 1960s or later, I'd still be walking on eggshells the whole time because I'd be worried about inadvertently altering time and creating a cataclysmic paradox. That's why the only safe time travel romance would involve me going to the future with some future dweller, provided the world hasn't drowned and the air is still breathable. Timelessly, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. I would never go to the future. Never, 
ever, ever. Like, never. I don't trust the future. (laughs) I think in this movie, the girl should have gone back with him because as much as he loves the future, he can't do anything once he's there. But she seems to like old-timey things, you know? Okay, Uh, this is from Kevin. Your time travel question intrigued me. Would I want to date... (coughs) Oh my God, you guys. I have COVID. Hang on. Symptoms already happening from two hours ago at the dentist. I mean, I'm kidding, but... Your time travel question intrigued me. Would I want to date a guy who traveled from 1903? And with that, there is a loud lawnmower outside. Would I want to date a guy who traveled from 1903? It made my mind go to this scenario. What if there was some inventor guy who was also gay and well-read and convinced that being gay wouldn't be a problem in 2020, so he time-traveled to find love and acceptance. Ooh, that's a great idea for another Christmas movie or any kind of movie. You could take this in so many directions. His eyes could be open to his own biases. He'd think trans people, black people, and women as equals, that's too far, which could be a commentary on clueless white gay men. And or it could have some young and naively progressive people find some wisdom from this guy and values from his time. In the hands of a wise and nuanced writer, that premise could have a lot of promise. Probably way too deep for a Hallmark movie. LOL. Loved your Christmas show, by the way. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, This is from Antonia. Where are the ladies writing in about this? Jen, regarding time travel, before I answer your question, I'll tell you who I'm not going to be. The stupid moron in movies that takes about 11 million proofs to finally believe they are a person who has time traveled. I'm ready to believe it after one. Let's go. I'm ready to have some time travel fun, LOL. Yes, I would find them fascinating if someone time traveled. I'd be just like Jamie towards Claire in the show Outlander. Great show too, Antonio. I know. I I think I used to have a joke in my act uh, that women wouldn't need as many as you say, proofs, like how, how the whole back to the future is Marty McFly. Like, well, I need one more thing to show me. I'm in 1955. It's like, you're there. We saw it. You saw it. You set your car to 1955 and then you got there and you're like, where could I be? Um, oh, and then last week when I was like, I think I heard a fan talking shit about me. This is great. This is from, uh, the woman who did it. And I, I totally misunderstood what was happening. Um, Uh, hey, Jen, longtime fan and Patreon subscriber. I'm also the one who mentioned motivational comedy in my Instagram stories during the end of your show. We're on the same page about how closely linked comedy and inspiration are. I actually call myself a motivational comedian because I came into comedy through the motivational speaker circuit once I got sick of hearing all the bullshit, shiny stories of redemption from the Tony Robbins types. I find sitting in the mess and being able to laugh at it much more inspiring. I believe comedy is and of itself a transformational tool when used correctly. And I always like to highlight examples of it for my followers when I see it in action. Because I certainly didn't invent the idea of it. So that's why you heard me mention it. Wasn't talking shit. (laughs) Love the show. Keeping awesome, Jen. That's from jenletterer.com. J-E-N-N-L-E-D-E-R-E-R.com. I guess if you guys want to check her out. Um, well, thank you, Jen. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think we're, you know, I kind of, I, I didn't think, again, I didn't know who posted it. I didn't like remember the name, but the reason I mentioned it last week is because I thought, well, even if the person posting it wasn't talking shit, like there are people who really hate when comedians are sincere. And so I wanted to like address that phenomenon anyway, as long as we were talking about it. And then just something very interesting, we can close on this that I was reading about the vaccine is that um, it was from New York Magazine. It's called We Had the Vaccine the Whole Time. Um, you may be surprised to learn that the trio of long-awaited coronavirus vaccines, the most promising is Moderna's mRNA-1273, which reported a 94.5% efficacy rate on November 16th, had been designed by January 13th. 
This was just two days after the genetic sequence had been made public in an act of scientific and humanitarian generosity um, that resulted in China's young Zen Zongs being temporarily forced out of his lab. I don't know that story. In Massachusetts, the, the Moderna vaccine design took all of one weekend. Ooh, ooh, my hometown. Yeah, dude, we got a fucking Dunkin's and we got the vaccine. Fuck you. And we got the socks and go fuck yourself. <clears throat> I didn't see the Yankees coming up with the vaccine. This was completed in Massachusetts before China had even acknowledged that the disease could be transmitted from human to human. More than a week before the first confirmed coronavirus case in the United States. By the time the first American death was announced a month later, the vaccine had already been manufactured and shipped to the National Institutes of Health for the beginning of phase one clinical trial. This is as the country and the world are rightly celebrating the fastest timeline of development in the history of vaccines. Uh, but to be clear, Moderna should not have been allowed to roll out its vaccine in February or even May, even when interim results from its phase one trial demonstrated its basic safety. That would be like saying we put a man on the moon and then asking the very same day, let's go to Mars. But what was going on is uh, what's going on with it is that sorry, I'm like scrolling to read because it was like this interesting thing about it's close to the SARS virus, but the thing that made COVID so easy to replicate is those spikes. And, and that, so that's why scientists, uh, like, yes, they needed funding and they needed all this, but like just science alone in its science lab away from politics were able to figure it out so quickly because it's, you know, there are all these articles coming out that were really scary at the beginning of the pandemic. Is it morphing? Is it changing? I mean, it is a weird fucking little disease, right? It's, it's respiratory. It's neurological. People have depression issues after it's, it, it can fuck with your heart. It's so many things. And so there was this kind of common wisdom that how do you vaccinate for something like that? You know? And, and I know that we still, Oh God, when America has to realize that you get one shot, and then you have to wait 10 days and you have to wear a mask the whole time. And then you get another vaccine. Oh, they're going to be like, I'm fine. I just got one. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I can't remember where I read the little scientific -y part, but. Oh, here it is. The reason the vaccine timeline was shrunk is that much of the research and preclinical animal testing was done in the aftermath of the 2003 SARS pandemic. That is, for instance, how we know to target the spike protein. This would be the model. Scientists have a very clear sense of which virus families have pandemic potential, and given the resemblance of those viruses, can develop not only vaccines for all of them, but also ones that could easily be tweaked to respond to new variants within these families. So they were already kind of doing it. Um, we do this every year for, for influenza. We don't know which influenza viruses are going to be circulating, so we make our best guess. And then we formulate that into a vaccine using essentially the same technology platform that all the other influenza vaccines are based on. The whole process takes a few months and utilizes a platform that we already know is basically safe. You can do the same for viral pandemics and indeed conduct phase one trials for the entire set of possible future outbreaks before any of them make themselves known to the public. So there you go. And it's also saying that women are on the forefront of developing this vaccine. Ooh, ooh, thank God you let us vote, fellas. Okay, so this article from Bloomberg.com is talking about all of the women that helped to make the vaccine. So the rapid scientific progress against COVID shows the benefits to a society of expanding opportunity. 
The early history of vaccines is a male-dominated field. The science, which is currently showing spectacular results, is now led by women. Therein lies a lesson about the allocation of talent. Consider the history of the mRNA vaccine, which is the technological basis of both the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, the two leading vaccine contenders for the U.S. To oversimplify, we need that for in case any ladies are listening. mRNA vaccines teach cells how to make a protein that triggers an immune system response rather than injecting live or dead virus material. And so this is Jen interrupting. If you let me mansplain that to you, you know, if you get a flu shot, they're injecting dead or live virus into you. This is something a little different. If done properly, that makes the vaccine quicker to develop, safer to use, and easier to manufacture at scale. It can probably be adapted to fight other viruses, and mRNA products may have additional uses, such as helping to treat skin disorders. Or Botox, that's what the ladies were thinking of when they invented it. The core work behind the mRNA approach comes from Catalin Carico, a Hungarian-born emigre who came to the U.S. to work on RNA-related issues. Her career had its fits and starts, probably her period, including problems with raising research money and about with cancer, but, but probably also her period. But she persisted. She ended up working with Drew Wiseman, and they figured out how to inject RNA material into humans without causing excess inflammation, which previously had been the critical barrier to making progress. Well, wait, she worked with the guy, so that's how it got done. Carico ended up working with BioNTech, a German startup founded um, by a husband and wife team whose parents were Turkish guest workers in Germany. Then there's a vaccine from Novavax, which is based in Maryland. The results are not yet published, but early word is that they are very promising. This vaccine also is based on new ideas using an unusual moth cell system to crank out proteins in a highly innovative manner. I've got some moths in my closet. If, it, if any more ladies like me want to contribute to the vaccine, we'll send that in. Novavax team is led by Nita Patel, an immigrant from India. Her vaccine team is identified as all female. That's sexist. Patel is from a very poor family. Her father almost died of tuberculosis when she was four years old, and she often had to beg for bus fare. The common theme here is one of outsiders as women and immigrants have been prominent at crucial points in saving our fucking lives. The swift development of all of these vaccines could end up being the biggest scientific era in decades. And it has been driven by people who in another era never would have had a chance. Yay! Inclusion, progression, and science. Inclusion, progression, and science. We are doing it. We are moving the world forward. It's gonna be a better place for you and me. Maybe not me. I'm old, but other people, not me. Yay. There we go, everybody. Ah, that's some fun news. And until next week, have fun. (laughs) 